Blog Talk Radio. Thank you for tuning in to the Lawyer's Toolbox on ALR PRA Law Talk Radio. Today is Thursday, August 19, 2010, and I'm your host, Nick Augustine. This show is produced by ALR PRA Incorporated, a national law practice management agency headquartered downtown Chicago, Illinois, and serving greater Chicago, Los Angeles, New York, and Washington, D.C. We help manage our clients' business so they can spend more time practicing law. Today's guest is career consultant Leah Jackman-Whitener, Ph.D. Dr. Leah has been consulting and coaching professionals like you for seven years. In addition to her career consulting experience, she brings to the table all of her insights and skills gained from 11 years of providing psychotherapy. Dr. Leah enjoys helping lawyers address their specialized career issues, and no one is better equipped to do so. Dr. Leah is a published author who holds a master's and doctorate degrees in counseling psychology from The Ohio State University. She is a licensed psychologist in the state of Indiana, and she graduated summa cum laude from University of Missouri at Columbia with a double major in psychology and French, with general honors and honors in psychology. Dr. Leah is a member of Phi Beta Kappa, and Dr. Leah has also given hundreds of speeches and seminars and is available for keynotes, CLEs, and workshops on career issues. For more information about Dr. Leah Jackman-Whitener, please uh, go to consultantforlawyers.com. Again, that website is consultantforlawyers.com. Now, before we begin today, we want to remind you that we have two weekly Law Talk radio shows. First, the Consumer's Law Journal, which airs every Tuesday, and second, the Lawyer's Toolbox, today's show, which airs on Thursday afternoons. Both Law Talk radio shows air at 3 p.m. Central, which is also 4 p.m. Eastern and 1 p.m. Pacific time. We do have a great show for you this afternoon, and we invite caller questions either by email at info at alrpra.com, or please call in by dialing area code 917-889-9732 and press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. That telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732 and and please press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. We have a promotional uh, offer today uh, for the first 10 people to email uh, Dr. Leah at Leah, L-E-A-H, at consultantforlawyers.com, and that's consultant, C-O-N-S-U-L-T-A-N-T-F-O-R, lawyers, L-A-W-Y-E-R-S.com. So again, Leah at consultantforlawyers.com. First 10 people to email her will receive a free initial assessment uh, valued at $100. Uh, also, we want to let you know that ALRPRA will be hosting the uh, Quarter 3 Social Media Update 2010 seminar that's going to be held Wednesday, September 10th, or September 22nd, uh, rather, here in Chicago, and the price of admission will be $25 per attendee, and event invitations will be going out shortly. Uh, those who are not located here in Chicago will be able to attend via webinar. Uh, finally, our general disclaimer, this is a general information program designed to offer practice management tips. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal advice, and the results may vary and are based on the specifics of your matter and your location. You are encouraged to privately consult a professional and should be advised that the laws may vary from state to state as they could apply to the comments made on this show. Comments made on the show and our shows generally between attorneys and the public or other professionals do not constitute attorney-client or other professional-client relationships, and all callers remain confidential and the rights to this broadcast are reserved by ALRPRA. Having said all that, it's now time to turn things over to Dr. Leah. Let's say hello, Dr. Leah. How are you today? I'm great. How are you? Good. It's been some time since you were on the show last. How have things been? Wonderful. Wonderful. Well, you let know, me it's... tell you, Doc. Go ahead. Sorry. Sorry. I was just going to say, you know, it, um, I'm, I am continually gratified by the number of lawyers who are looking to live a happier life and, and, and actually still enjoy practicing law and just want to make it better. And that is something that we talked about on your last show when you were on the radio program in March, we talked about how they can, uh, you know, go ahead and work with someone like you or, um, you know, anyone to address some of the stresses and needs and, and really, you know, find themselves practicing law and enjoying their lives. So, uh, you know, that was the theme there. And, of course, anyone who wants to listen to that program can go to ALRPRA.com or the Blog Talk radio site and go through our, our back links and look for the March program. 
um, where we address that. So uh, moving on, so Dr. Leah, I think today some of the things that we want to talk about are the transitions and the challenges that attorneys faced when they go from a career working in a law firm to um, nowadays and with this economy, many finding themselves with the decision to uh, launch their own solo practices and some of the challenges, again, that they face there, um, knowing that that is a, a large transition. So uh, I'll just quickly run through um, the outline of the points that we're going to talk about on today's show. First, we're going to talk about business ownership, uh, the challenges and the push to grow. Then we're going to talk about uh, more uh, training for lawyers, the skill sets that we went through in law school, and then the transition to the new skill sets, skill sets and training as a business owner and recognizing these different um, concepts and how we can address them, but facing them head-on is, is the right thing to do. Then we're going to talk about some challenges that are often faced by those starting businesses, such as the daily operations, the networking, getting clients, keeping clients, credentialing activities, outsourcing and balancing the uh, work plan, and putting out all the fires that lawyers and solo practices have. Then we're going to talk about the uh, decision to remain as a solo attorney or maybe go back into a partnership or uh, look to get reabsorbed into a firm, maybe having some uh, experiences on the solo end that can uh, lend themselves uh, nicely to uh, a good candidate for another position. Uh, then we can talk about uh, just general family considerations because when you start a solo practice, it's really a family starting it. It affects everyone. So, um, so Leah, let's uh, go ahead and get started. Why don't you tell us your initial impressions on this transition? You know, that transition from working in a firm of any size, small or large, to going solo is, is huge. And it's especially huge right now because most of the people who are doing that are doing that because they can't find work in the kind of firm they wanted to be at in the first place. So if you think about first, you know, it's all about good issue spotting, right? I mean, good consulting ought to be about good issue spotting. The, the transition from working for someone to working for yourself is large enough anyway. It becomes magnified when your choice is, was not your own when it becomes something I need to do rather than something I want it to do. Does that make that, sense for you? That is, well, <laughs> and that is exactly what's happening right now. People are finding them um, themselves in a place where it's not something that they ever thought they wanted to do, So, um, but they may be forced to do in order to continue working in the profession, uh, at least temporarily. So um, what types of things should they start to look at or if how would you work with someone who came to you and asked for some advice um, in looking at the different skill sets here's, here's my overall my overall process I guess is to first stop and take a step back and say okay are you doing this because you have to or doing it because you want to and if, you, and if it's because you have to that's still a viable choice it just um, maybe approaching it with a different level of motivation, a different level of passion. And if you have a business degree already and you're from a family of entrepreneurs, taking on, taking on a solo practice may seem like no big deal. But if you're trained as an academic and you think like an academic, maybe your family or professors or physicians, um, old school physicians before they had to do a lot of marketing themselves, they, you may start to feel like, you're in this completely different environment. And so the first thing to look at for yourself is what is it that's drawing you to solo practice and, and how will that affect your ability to be successful? You know, in the old days, all lawyers had to do was hang a shingle and they knew that they were going to get business. And that's how the folks have been doing it in small towns for 40 years. That's how they started. They hung up their shingle, people came. And to some degree that works, but by and large it doesn't. Not anymore. Because it's, it's an absolutely different marketplace and you have to think about business and you have to think about marketing in a very different way. So I guess the first, the first thing I would suggest is that there's an entire skill set around thinking like a business owner and realizing that 
it's not just the technical skills that you bring to the table that's going to that they're going to make you money, but your ability to interact, to have positive relationships, to create referral relationships with um, referral partners in your community, that's what's going to create your success. Leah, you talked about a passion for entrepreneurship. Is this something that people can learn? What if they don't have the passion? What if they think they do but they don't? How do you kind of, what's a good way to judge yeah. your ability? Yeah, I, I think there are some people who are, by virtue of their personality style or by virtue of their upbringing, some natural entrepreneurs. And there are most of us who aren't. You know, there are a handful. And actually, you know what? Um, the fascinating thing to me is the things that make a really good entrepreneur make a really bad lawyer and vice versa. What makes a successful lawyer? You've got to be a little bit pessimistic. You've got to be pretty perfectionistic. And you've got to be a little paranoid, right? Well, those, those qualities are antithetical to entrepreneurship. Entrepreneurs are these people who get up every day and they're – I joke that they're like golden retrievers. They're like, oh, what are we going to do today? What are we going to do today? No matter how bad it was yesterday, they just think, you know, there's a silver lining, everything's fine, and they forget about the past and they move on. Because to be a successful entrepreneur, you cannot get hung up in yesterday's failure. Correct. You have to be able to think of every day as a new day. Well, that's not what lawyers are trained to think like. Lawyers are trained to think of every possible negative outcome. And entrepreneurs have to think in this exceedingly optimistic way that it doesn't matter, you know, that this situation tanks, you keep plugging. So I guess the first thing I would say is if you are a relatively new lawyer, say you've been out of school maybe less than five years, then you've probably got an easier time transitioning to a solo practice than someone who's been doing it 20 years. Because after 20 years, the law thought process is so deeply ingrained that it's hard to shake. At less than five years, you can still you can still work with it. Over 20 years, it's still possible to to go and become a solo. It's just you have to think of it more deliberately and really train yourself to think optimistically and look at um, possibilities rather than potential problems. I have a comment to make. Um, it's, you know, listening to you describe the dichotomy there between the two, um, you know, styles. One being, uh, you know, and I'll just, you know, I'll give, I'll use my example. Um, you know, I came out of family law, which was very stressful, and lots of people's lives were at stake. Um, you know, and people's happiness. And you know, I've also done some. You know, I've also worked in the criminal crim criminal side where people's liberties are at stake. I mean, these are very stressful things, and you're always second guessing. Um, you know, what if I asked this question in discovery more? Or what if I did this? Or what if I did all these what ifs? Um, but then you flip the coin, and now that I you know work as an entrepreneur and has, have built a company, uh, I'm always looking for the next opportunity to do something great and share things with the world. And you know, so but I have both of these things going on at once, where I still have some cases that I'm still helping uh, some of my clients with as kind of a co-chair, second chair. So you know, during my day, it's it's really tough to flip back and forth. Um, between those two modes, and I know that I, you know, right now, I'll tell you today, I owe an email uh, response to um, one of the attorneys who's a client who's got a, a large defamation case, and there's strategy consulting that we have to do, and she's very nervous about, you know, a lot of uh, the things that are that are going on, you know, not nervous in a sense of, um, you know, kind of a good nervous because there's a lot of energy and, you know, sense of immediacy, and things have to be done, and there's, and, and it's just, it really is. A shift and putting on a different hat, and I find it difficult to sometimes, you know, juggle back and forth. So I can certainly appreciate that. So, you know, what are some tips that you might suggest um, to people who are, you know, trying to, you know, practice law and maintain their reasonable sense of fear and nervousness? You know, I, again, I talk about anxiety as kind of a good thing. How do you suggest people balance that with flipping and putting on the uh, entrepreneur and business and marketing hat and, you know, turning a Pollyanna smile on? How do, what, how do people do this? Well, three things come to mind. First, um, the metaphor that you used, putting on a different hat, 
if you, on a very deliberate basis, imagine yourself putting on your lawyer hat, and then maybe even become part of your vernacular. Okay, I'm going to put on my lawyer hat now and go and, and do the work. Okay, now I'm going to put on my, my entrepreneur hat and go to a networking event. That, that deliberate process of imagining yourself in a different space may help you make the mental transition to the other thought process, number one. Number two, I think you have to be very clear about surrounding yourself with both types of people. You want to surround yourself with excellent lawyers who will help you raise your standard of practice, especially if you've only been out a few years. Of, you, know, you, you got your JD less than five years ago. You're still learning the practice of law. Not that you ever stop, but you know, the curve flattens out a little bit after five years. You have to be around people who can answer the questions, develop those collegial relationships to say, hey, haven't covered this before. You know, I, I, you and I met on Facebook. I see this on my Facebook wall all the time. Somebody will post a question. Hey, I'm, I'm getting ready to um, submit this particular motion. Can you help me out? Looking for friends, looking for people who have done it before. So surround yourself with, with excellent lawyers and then also with entrepreneurs. And watch, you know, take a, like, um, a half step back and watch how entrepreneurs think. Look for the people who are successful and look for the things that they do that appear to make them successful. And essentially, take a participant observer anthropological stance and learn what it is that will, take, that will be necessary for you to become a successful entrepreneur. And the third tip I've got there goes back to um, the other thing you said about the performance anxiety curve. You said you know, it takes a little bit of anxiety to be successful. And I don't know if you remember from Psych 101 or Social Psych, whichever class you might have had it in, there is this curve, and it's roughly a bell curve, where as anxiety goes up, performance goes up to a certain point. And at a certain median range of anxiety, our performance is enhanced. If we're too laissez-faire, we're not going to do well. If we're too anxious, we're not going to do well. But at a moderate level of anxiety, it does kind of get our, get our blood going, get us thinking, get us jazzed up. You just can't let it air too far or your performance crashes again. So those are, I guess, some three first tips on how to, how to manage that, the back and forth. Do you suggest music? What, what about music? I'm just, the first thing that popped into my head is uh, how to, you know, if I'm trying to meet that point on that bell curve where I've got the right level of anxiety but I'm not freaking out, um, you know, what do you, what do you think about music or background things or like a TV on or something good? Have you, has, what, what have people told you helps them get to that sweet spot? Well, um, two things. I guess it depends on whether you are too calm and need to jack it up a little bit or whether you're too anxious, you're going to choose a different kind of, different kind of music. You know, if you're in a mellow mood and you'd really rather be home and it's Saturday morning, but you've got to go in and finish, finish some project, finish a brief, well then, of course, you're going to you know, listen to faster music, you know, increase the pace, maybe go for a run that morning beforehand. You know, just get yourself moving. Um, and then if you're too anxious, you want to calm the music down. And, and I don't know if you um, caught this discussion on my Facebook page the other day. And any of the listeners are welcome to send me a Facebook friend request. Leah Jack Whitener, I'm probably the only one in the world. Um, we were talking about someone who was preparing for a trial last weekend, and and I said, you know, just you know, listen to Eye of the Tiger over and over. Remember the theme, the song from Rocky? Yes, and, I love it. And people started talking about their. Um, their trial prep theme song and what it is that they listen to either or what it is they hear in their head as they're driving to court when they're getting ready to take someone on or take a situation on. So, you know, finding that anchor song or, um, you know, for some people it's a song, for some people it's some kind of mantra, you know, a, a personal prayer or meditation that gets them in that sense of, you know, I can succeed, I can thrive, you know, I am woman, here we roar, whatever it is for you. It's kind of, it's sort of like um, the analogy of uh, find the tree, the, your, your center tree, and hold on to that. Um, exactly. You know, mm-hmm. Which is, is so, it's so different from, you know, no, you know most of the, 
you know, skills. You know, again, they don't teach you that in law school. They don't talk about stress. They talk about, uh, you know, you know, drinking and drug and you know, abuse and and uh, things like that, and how to report on fellow colleagues. They teach you that, but they, you know, they don't teach you to find your your uh, you know your trial prep song. So that's great advice. Um, yeah. Leah, let's pause real quick for a uh, um, sponsor identification, then we'll uh, come back. Um, for those just turning in, this you are listening to the uh, actually the Lawyers Toolbox show on ALRPRA Law Talk Radio. Again, we have the two shows, the Consumers Law Journal on Tuesdays and the Lawyers Toolbox show for lawyers on Thursdays. Now, when you need the right legal services to advance your creativity, and here we're talking about intellectual property, you need to call the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Attorney Nancy K. Ducharme brings big law firm experience and reputation to her intellectual property law firm, serving national corporate clients in the areas of trademark, copyright, Internet law, and advertising law. You can find the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme by visiting nkdlaw.com and also by searching for the law office of Nancy K. Ducharme on Facebook. By clicking the Like button on the law firm's business page, you'll receive periodic blog updates with recent developments in the rapidly changing field of intellectual property law. Now back to the Consumer's Law Journal. We encourage listeners to call in with any questions for our guest today, Dr. Leah Jackman-Whitener, at area code 917-889-9732. Press option 1 to be placed in the caller queue. The telephone number again is area code 917-889-9732. Again, this is a... uh, our, our general disclaimer that the show, the information on this show, uh, is provided as general information and does not uh, constitute legal advice or an attorney, attorney-client relationship, or in this case, uh, a doctor-patient relationship. Um, and you are encouraged to call a professional if you so choose. Uh, now back to Dr. Leah. I would like to shift gears, if you could, to uh, sort of hone in on some of those skill sets you talked about for the business owners. Some of our attorneys out there listening might wonder uh, what types of things and activities uh, you're identifying as the skill set of the business owner. Um, Could you clarify a little on that? Um, The skill sets for the business owner. Skill sets for business owners fall into managing the structure of your day, managing the people who work for you, and managing your outreach efforts. So you've learned probably through law school some measure about what makes you work best. There's always enhancements to that in terms of time management. Those are things lots of people can cover. If you're just starting a practice, you may or may not have staff. You may have an, an outsourced firm that you work with either for your billing or for some paralegal assistance. I know UNIC can go into a lot more detail about the options there. And so my main thing is, how do you think about the networking and the marketing and the sales? We're professionals. We're academics. We're not trained to think like salespeople. If you happen to have any kind of sales background, you're an incredible leg up on the competition as lawyers. But most folks don't have any background like that, and so they need to learn very rudimentary skills, like how do you network in a way that's authentic and feels comfortable for you as a lawyer, and how do you how do you close that deal, um, and how do you get the word out in a way that that fits your professional standards? One of the things. I'd like to comment on that you uh, addressed is authentic networking, mm-hmm. and this kind of, this always pops up, um, and you know again one of the reasons you know I'll say this to our listeners one of the reasons I enjoy talking to Dr. Leah here is because you know myself I am I am not a psychologist but I was a psych major in college. Um, and got as far as psych statistics until the uh, the world of math shifted my uh, career focus other places and uh, ended up going to law school um, like the rest of my family. But at any rate, I always appreciated some of the things about psychology and like some of the uh, cognitive uh, principles. You know why people remember things, sensory, uh, you know, sensation, memory, perception, you know, all of these. And now when I talk about social media use and networking, because it's one of the pieces of the puzzle, um, I always talk about this psychology of the Internet and psychology of the consumer um, and how we can do a lot of things online, but to be very 
um, authentic, I guess is the word to use your uh, term, be authentic in, in your messages and be respectful of people's time. Um, can you talk a little bit about, um, you know, using some of the networking functions, you know, social media and other things, and uh, sort of this you know, tone of being authentic and being respectful of people's time? What are your experiences? Um, well, let, me, let me broaden out for a minute and talk about my approach to networking in general is that networking is about building relationships. It's not about you meet someone and you try to sell them something. Well, that's a good fit for for lawyers because it's it's not like you're trying to get a new client at every chamber of commerce function. But what you need is those people who are well connected. And so if you think about when you go into a networking situation, your goal is to meet people, understand something about them. Let's just go back to traditional lawyer personality is not necessarily understand the person. So I want to encourage you to take a step back to really get to know the people that you're talking to and find out how you can help them. And then the more you help other people, the more they're going to work to help you. So number one, take a, a, a servant stance to the, to the situation to where you're, you're really looking to understand someone else's business. Two, be very clear and understand that people are uncomfortable talking to lawyers. We, all, we kind of have a gut knowledge of that, but if you think about it, and try and put yourself in the person's shoes that you're talking to, they may feel very uncomfortable, a little um, uh, one down intellectually if you start throwing around, well, you know, your credentials and you're tossing out where you went to school and it's clear that they should know something about that and maybe they don't know anything about that, and they start feeling you know, less than because they're not in your world. So your job in a networking situation, whether that's social media oriented or um, in person, is to make sure that the other person feels comfortable. That will help them feel better about you, and then they're going to send people to you. If you're an approachable lawyer, if you're someone that people feel comfortable and at ease talking with, then you're going to get referrals. That's, that's really, kind of the bottom line. Mm -hmm. It really seems all about the likability factor. If people refer business to people they like and people that right. enjoy talking to, and I would hire someone that I liked and was easy to talk to as opposed to someone who made me feel stupid or uh, someone who I feel like I'm bothering them by even talking to them. And I know some especially, lawyers out there. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. I was say, especially in the law, when people come talk to a lawyer, they're doing it because they feel uncomfortable. That something's wrong in their life. They don't. Nobody comes to a lawyer because they're happy. Well, maybe I take that back. If you won the lottery and you need someone to help you set up a trust fund for your kids, you're happy. But pretty much everybody else is unhappy, and they feel they already have some sense of innate failure that they even have to go see you about the problem or that the problem is even facing them. So if you understand that and can help people feel that they can tell you whatever it is they need to tell you so that you can, can serve them and do a good job without, without making them feel uncomfortable, then they're going to send their friends to you. Just like what you said there. Right, because they trust you and they, and they enjoy your job. They, mm -hmm. Exactly. I, you know, these are good. So, and again, with the... Um, the marketing, one of the things that I'd like to uh, toss in there, um, and maybe you might want to you know, comment on the same, is the idea of meeting people and uh, being authentic and meeting them. You know, in, in a networking event, you know, the goal is to maybe walk away with you know, three or four business cards, not 40. Can you, talk, can you tell us why? Yeah. You know, if you walk away with 40 business cards and all you've been doing all evening is, is walking around and handing a card and getting there, and it's very hard to follow up with 40 people. If you think of a networking environment, chamber of commerce function, um, you know, even your cocktail party or your kid's soccer game, that environment is a chance for you to get to know someone and find out if there's any possible interaction that might be helpful for you. So you make sure you get their contact information and, and you hand them your card. What you want is depth of relationship, 
not a whole bunch of surface relationships. Because, like you said, people do business with people they know, like, and trust. If you know, like, and trust someone, it's because you've had time to really get to know them. One of the things I encourage my clients is when you're starting out a business, especially say you're starting out because, you know, your job at that firm ended and now you've got to pick up and go, spend 40 hours a week marketing until you get full. And if you spend all your time marketing, I mean, unless you've got, if you've got business already coming in, great, go into your business, of course. But you start filling the hours with the business, but you don't just sit around and wait for the phone to ring. You make phone calls to the people you know. If you're a family law person, then you call each of the therapists in town and say, hey, it's really no, opened up this practice, here's my specialty areas, how can I help you, who are good referrals for you when I have clients come in and they're looking for a therapist for their child, who would you send a child to? You get to know them as a referral source. They get to know you in that process. And, and you can, you know, across the board, whatever your specialty is, you figure out who those people are that are going to be the people who send people to you. Every financial planner in the world wants to know lawyers better. Every accountant wants to know lawyers better. And if you were to actually pick up the phone and call someone, Oh, man, that would make a huge impression. The phone? And that's a friend for life. Phone. You want us to use the phone? Don't you think people feel ups, you know, upset when people get calls on the phone that they're not expecting? Oh, what, how do you react to, uh, you know, currently just everyone texts or emails? And when no, it's the phone, it's like, ah. Man, I got teenagers, and so, you know, I am the queen of text. I, I get it. I love it. I far prefer text in most situations what I want you to do is make an impression. And if you pick up that phone, you're going to stand out. Number one, they're not going to get many, you know, your average therapist is not going to get very many phone calls from lawyers that aren't about a case. And they're not even going to get letters from a lawyer, but, you know, you don't differentiate yourself by sending out a little welcome to my new firm letter or postcard. You differentiate yourself by having a human contact. And that's what matters over time. That's what matters over time is, is having an authentic interaction with another human being. That's what we now remember. You talk, and you talk about time. You know, these things don't happen overnight. You can, um, you know, in marketing and networking and sales, some people don't, are very, seem to be very impatient in their expectation of results. Um, you know, I, I've heard the statement, well, I had a great conversation with this person, um, and I've sent them um, some materials, and they get my blog and everything, but they haven't sent anything to, to me, and it's been six months, and, you know, I just don't know. Maybe they don't like me. Maybe, you know, uh, you know. Right, right. Yeah, you've had an interaction. Maybe it was a flat interaction where, you know, it was content only over a blog or an article you sent them but do you have a sense of a human connection? I mean, pretty much across the board, we're, we're, we're missing out on that in most situations. And, you know, being frank, a lot of lawyers would rather not have a lot of human interaction. A lot of lawyers would rather sit behind a desk, do their work, think. Nothing wrong with that. But if you're not busy, you've got to learn to stretch and push yourself out of your comfort zone and do something different if you want business to come in the door. The other thing well, is, you have to answer your phone. You know, if a client calls, you have to answer the call. You know, I've heard I've way too many stories recently of other folks who serve lawyers, you know, website designers, advertising people who are saying, you know, we get the traffic to the lawyers and then they won't answer their phone. Or they tell the people to email them when the person wants a phone call. Well, this is about customer service. You are the technician and about what it is you're doing for their case, you're in charge of making those decisions, you know, obviously in consultation with them. But in terms of how they want to be spoken to, you can't just tell people, well, you need to email me and expect the world to be the path to your door. You've got to make it what it is they want. Very good advice. Use the phone, respond to people, 
in kind as they want to be responded to. Let's pause quickly for our second sponsor, the Get Clients Now program. If you want to get clients now, there's a seasoned attorney and marketing coach who you can also talk to about getting clients and keeping them. Jim Thompson's program is called Get Clients Now, and he'll help you take the crucial steps towards increasing your firm's revenue. The Get Clients Now program employs various time-honored techniques, many of which uh, Dr. Lee is talking about, um, and I'm seeing that he's calling in. Um, we'll get to uh, uh, Jim Thompson in a second here, if you don't mind, Dr. Leah. Um, let's just finish out uh, a blurb about Jim Thompson. He's going to be a recurring guest on the Lawyer's Toolbox show. He's on the line today. Uh, to learn more about Jim Thompson in the Midwest Consulting Group, please visit MidwestConsultants.net and also check out his testimonials on Facebook. Uh, search Get Clients Now on Facebook. ALRPRA strongly endorses the Get Clients Now program and understands the personal accountability component of this course. You can get in touch with Jim Thompson today by visiting MidwestConsultants.net. Um, Leah, we're going to bring in uh, Jim Thompson. Are you excited? That's great. All right, we're we're going to talk. We're kind of talking about similar things here. Jim, you're on the air. Okay, hey Nick, <laughs> that was almost perfect timing. I'm sorry, I'm a little bit late. I had an appointment and I tried to tried to get here earlier, and then uh, that trust me, that was not planned that way. I know. Just to bring you. Go ahead. I'm sorry. I was just going to say, to bring you up to speed, we are talking to Dr. Leah Jackman-Whitener today. Um, she is a career consultant for lawyers, and we were talking about some of the uphill battles that attorneys face when they uh, enter the world of entrepreneurship, and we were just talking about actually using the telephone to call people and respond to clients and get out there to ha you know do some authentic networking and, and some other things. So. Um, Leah's background, she is a, a psychologist and has been working uh, primarily with lawyers for about seven years now in helping stressed out attorneys. And, and Leah, for your background, uh, Jim Thompson is a retired uh, trial attorney and he has a, a Get Clients Now program and he's helping uh, teach a lot of attorneys how to get out there and do networking and speaking engagements um, and things like that. So that's my brief introduction uh, for you both. Great, thanks. Well, thank you, Nick. <laughs> I, I don't know what you've been talking about, Dr. Leah, so um, uh, can you kind of bring me up to, up to speed? Or, or uh, I do have some questions, but I don't want to kind of interfere or, or, or go over something you might have already talked about. Here, here's the short version. People like you doing Get Clients Now and you know other just really solid business building coaches work in my estimation, very specifically with the exact kinds of things you need to do on a day-to-day -day basis to build, build a good, good, solid farm. We've touched on a few of those things. My approach is usually about the mindset, and so what we've talked a lot about today is how to think like a business owner versus think like an, like an attorney, how to understand business ownership as something requiring incredible amounts of optimism, whereas being an attorney really pushes you to be a pessimistic, a uh, little suspicious kind of a human being, mm -hmm. and how you need to have a balance of both of those skill sets to be a solo practitioner. Yeah, I, um, I practice, I think Nick mentioned, I practiced law for 26 years, and I guess the first oh, 15 years that I practiced were, were really the fun years, and then it just got to be a grind, and I didn't realize that I wasn't having fun. And I and and, and just kind of what you just said, most younger lawyers and even some of the older lawyers that are now, um, you know, being laid off by they've been practicing for five or six years, and they're being laid off by some of the larger firms. They go out and they hang up their shingle, uh, and and they have really no idea of how to market. And obviously, one of the things that the law schools don't teach is how to run a business. And I, I, I mentioned this to someone on the other day. We were talking, and I, I said, you know, you may have been to law school, and you've got a law degree, as I had, and I know all about contracts and torts and all the, the, the legal stuff, but I went out, went into business, hung up a shingle, and really <clears throat> didn't know the first thing about running a business and sometimes you know as a lawyer we have this mindset well just because we have a law degree 
we can go out and automatically start our business and the clients are going to come, which is fine. Uh, we need to get the clients, obviously, but we, we have no idea of, you know, what copiers to buy, what uh, printers to buy, what uh, uh, computer systems to buy. And, and we don't have that knowledge. And I don't know whether you've mentioned it, but I would like to mention, uh, and I just came across this probably, oh, maybe two or three months ago. There's a book out. I don't know whether anybody's familiar with the E-Myth uh, by Michael mm -hmm. Gerber, but he has come out with a book, and uh, it's called The E-Myth Attorney. Absolutely one of the best books I have ever uh, come across for someone who is, is going out into practice, just starting out, or somebody that's been in practice for a while. And kind of as a cheat sheet, I, um, I, I, I really enjoy listening to CDs in my car or listening... Uh, and so that's how I, I got this. It's a six-CD set. It's absolutely fantastic. I think you can get it on Amazon for about 22 bucks. I got the CD set because I'm in my car a lot, and it's much easier for me to listen. And very seldom when I have a CD set do I go out and actually buy the book, but I did with, with, with regard to this. And every <clears throat> attorney that I come across, a young attorney or that's been in practice for a while, I encourage them to, to get the book. Uh, or get this. I'd encourage them really to get the CDs because I know as a lawyer we have so much to read. We never seem to get to a lot of reading material. I never did when I practiced law. I felt guilty if I was reading something other than, you know, law books and things of that nature. So uh, it's it's just probably the best thing that that I could recommend for a young attorney or someone that's been in you know working for a law firm and just going out on their own because it, it tells you how to run a business. And basically what, what the whole theory is, is um, we may as lawyers be good tacticians, and, and I use that word in the sense of we, we, we know how to do our craft, our legal craft, our lawyering craft, but we do not have the entrepreneurial skills. And this is something that we've got to learn, we've got to develop, because just because we go out and say we're we're hanging up our shingle, we're out in practice today, that does not, even if we had a lot of clients, which uh, is not true, obviously, but even if we had a lot of clients, we still don't know how to run the office, how to pick uh, secretaries, how to pick a phone system, uh, which, what we should have. And, and, and I know I'm going to date myself when I say this, but when I started practicing law, um, I didn't worry about marketing because all we could do um, was have a little one-liner in the yellow pages. So everything that we did was totally on a referral basis, uh, pretty much. What you have now, obviously, are the, um, you know, the Internet and the blogs and the websites and everything else that you've got to worry about also. So there's a lot out there that young lawyers or the lawyers new to the practice have to be aware of. Let, can I, if I can uh, jump in here, let me ask, uh, make a general comment and then ask uh, Dr. Leo to respond, and then, Jim, if you want to chime in. Um, one of the things that I have seen or, or that I have talked to people about um, is this, what would Don Draper do? And I like it because I, I think that a lot of the technology that's out there um, and opportunities to do advertising like you've, uh, you know, talked about there, Jim, that, you know, there's so many things out there. It's people think that they can just put a lot of money into the Internet. They don't know where to put it, and they just expect clients to get there. Well, I think that we can use technology to our advantage, but we need to focus on some traditional business values. I mean, you know, what would – so I say, what would Don Draper do if Don Draper were living in 2010 and had all the mm -hmm. uh, social media and everything else? Um, what what do you say, Dr. Leah, about uh, some traditional business values? Do you think they're still there? Do you think they're worth holding on to? What are your thoughts? Um, traditional business approaches and advertising? Is that the question? Yeah, like 1950s, 19, you know, 1950s approaches. To, I mean, not saying that we should all be sexist, sexist mongrels, but, um, you know, what have we lost touch in, do you think? Well, I guess that's, that kind of ties back to one of the things we were talking about earlier in terms of, it's about meeting people and forming a relationship. You know, we can throw advertisement up. Actually, I was at McDonald's today getting an iced tea, and I hear this woman on her cell phone, and she's commiserating with the person on the other end of the line, and she says, they just expect you to get your own attorney? You know, what are you going to do? Just open up the phone book and find someone? 
I, you know, that all the conversation I heard, and um, I didn't have time to to eavesdrop longer and figure out the whole scenario. But I thought to myself, okay, interesting. So even this person who didn't seem to be an especially sophisticated sophisticated user of of legal services knew that it seemed strange to just open up a phone book and and grab a name. You know, even this person who clearly doesn't live in the legal world from the way she was describing it, knows that you need something more, knows that you need to know someone who knows this person, has had an experience with them representing you know, someone else that they know. It comes back to human touch. You sit down with someone, you, you go to a networking event, and you go and have coffee with a person afterwards, and you sit there face-to-face, and hear about their life, find out why they got into the business they're in, you tell them how you became a lawyer, why that matters to you, then you're a human being to them. And they can call you because they're now at ease. Most lawyers aren't going to do that. Most lawyers don't think like that. They're more like, okay, well, tell me about your problem, here's what we're going to do, da You add a little bit of that human touch, it does. It takes it back to a value structure or a relationship structure that existed before the air conditioner when we sat on our front porches and you knew the people down the street from you. It, you create a small community of people around you who know you and will refer to you because they feel comfortable with you. Business succeeds. Business goes. And, uh, Jim, that's something that we were talking about before you were on the line. We are talking about networking events and business cards and how it's uh, can be arguably more beneficial to have a handful of people who are going to remember you um, as opposed to going around collecting cards and then sending out the uh, newsletters to all the people who are <laughs> going to then bounce back and unsubscribe because they don't know who you are because they, you, they, you didn't talk to them long enough to make a, a memorable uh, connection. Yeah, Nick, and that's one of the things I see when I, when especially when I talk to younger lawyers or lawyers that are uh, going into networking events or, you know, they join a chamber of commerce and they think because they've joined the chamber of commerce that people are just going to start automatically using them. And I'll sit down and I'll say, well, what events have you been to? Have you been to any of the? Have you gotten on any committees? Well, no, you know, and I go, wait a minute. You just don't join chambers and, and people are going to line up. And I also talk to people about, and, and I, I, before I forget, I want to mention a book uh, that lawyers, uh, this goes for every small business owner, every professional, every business owner that's going to do any networking. There's a book by uh, a gentleman, Bob Berg, it's B-U-R-G, it's called Endless Referrals. And he, in his book, talks two things. He talks about, number one, how to network, what you should do at networking events, and, and the type of things that you should be uh, trying to, to, to do at a networking event, and then also um, how, to, how to get referrals, how to ask for referrals. But the important thing is when you're talking about going to a networking event, you need to listen. You need to talk to people, find out what they do. Um, yeah, somebody might ask you, well, Jim, what do you do? Well, I'm an attorney and I practice divorce law. Okay, stop right there and then just kind of turn the conversation back over to them and let them tell you what they do. People love to talk, and if you listen, people want, uh, people want to talk. They don't want to hear you. As much as you may think you're the greatest attorney in the world or, or whatever, they don't care about you. They want you to listen to them, and if you show that you can listen to them, in a social setting, you know, you don't even want to talk about legal problems. You want to just get to know them, let them know you, and then if they have something that comes up or uh, something that, that is, uh, reminds them of a, of a legal problem, you can talk about it later. That's not where you want to talk about it. Let me say let's, one let's, more uh, thing. And, go ahead. Oh, go, go. I was just going to say, I was going to ask Dr. Leah for uh, her comment on psych. psych on a, on a psychological basis, why that is a, a valuable statement. I'm sorry, which part is the value of the statement? Oh, oh the statement? Uh, that yeah, you're I, turning I, the conversation back over to the person you're talking to instead of talking about yourself. Oh, oh yeah, because, it, you know, two things. Number one, we get in a social situation, a networking situation, and we're uncomfortable. We tend to want to just fill our guts and 
and ramble ourselves because we're uncomfortable. But the people who are going to like you better are the people who you took time to get to know. If you just tell them what you do, it's not it's not a satisfying conversation because it's not an interaction, it's a speech. You know, you can have a miniature speech and tell people all about what you do and why you're great and what you can do for them, but that doesn't mean they're going to like you to call you later. So that, that slowing down and having a chance to have a, a real interaction ends up being a more positive thing because the person will like you better. You know, there's actually fascinating kinds of social psychology research about um, if you ask someone for a favor, they'll like you better. Well, this isn't easy for a lot of folks. It isn't easy for a lot of lawyers to put themselves in a position where they need a favor from anyone about anything. But, but the research shows it out, bears it out that if you even ask someone to borrow a pen, they will like you better because they got to do something for you. And when they are, know that you're interested in them in their lives, they can help you out in some way, they get to tell you about them, they're going to like you better. It's about being a real human being. Let's pause quickly uh, for our final sponsor break. Then we have about eight minutes left in the show. Our third sponsor is credit damage expert George Finder. He is a credit damage expert who put a dollar amount, that is right, an actual dollar amount, a figure, on damage to credit reputation. George Finder is one of the only credit damage experts in the country, and attorneys and plaintiffs who've used his services have earned huge damage awards in various practice areas, such as personal injury, employment law, family, and general civil litigation. By learning to incorporate credit damage questions into the intake process, you and your staff will learn to spot credit damage events worthy of retaining George Finder's credit damage analysis services. By the way, right now, for any of our listeners who contact George Finder and tell them that they heard his ad on ALRPRA's Law Talk radio program, they'll receive free of charge one hour of CLE presentation. Now grab a pen. I'll give you the email to respond to this offer. So again, tell the George Finder that you heard about him on ALRPRA Law Talk radio. You'll get one hour of free CLE presentation. Email is creditdamageassociates.com at gmx.com. Again, Credit Damage Associates at gmx.com. Available nationwide, Credit Damage Expert George Finder's website is full of resources. Please visit creditdamageexpert.com to learn more about George Finder and his expert services. George is also a recurring guest on the Consumer's Law Journal's Tuesday Law Talk radio program. Tune in every first Tuesday of the month uh, where George answers questions about credit damage issues and events from the public uh, on our uh, Consumer's Law Journal, again, first Tuesday of the month show. Reminding callers to call in with any final questions, Dial 917-889-9732, press option 1. Again, this is a general information program, and the advice contained herein does not constitute legal advice nor uh, advice from uh, Dr. Leah as a psychologist, nor does it create an attorney-client or a patient-client privileged uh, relationship. So going back now to uh, some final points, we were just discussing about some of the human uh, elements to interaction that really drives uh, relationships and makes people remember professionals and want to refer cases and such. Um, Can we move on now to a little now? Jim, if you want to hang out there on the line, if you want to make some comments, you know, we'll uh, allow that. Dr. Leah, is that all right with you? Mm Mm-hmm. All right. Go right ahead. All right, I just want to go through some remaining, some of the challenges. I'm just going to go through a list here. I want you to take them uh, as you want to. Some of the challenges, again, facing the new solo practitioners are, one, daily operations of the business, networking and getting clients. Again, I think we've talked a little bit about that. Retaining clients by building relationships, um, credentialing activities, outsourced help, and uh, balancing the work and putting out fires. So, um are there any of those you think that you want to touch on, uh, Dr. Leah, that we haven't already discussed? Yeah, we've, we've talked lots about the networking, um, routine clients. You know, seriously, let's go back to somewhat the golden rule, but that's amped up to the platinum rule. You treat people as you would want to be treated, but more than that, you treat them as they want to be treated. So if a client wants to hear from you on a regular basis and is willing to pay for it, well, then... Give them a weekly update, whatever it is that they're looking for. You may not um, you may not have anything new to tell them, but if that maintains a strong client relationship and a strong um, 
a strong referral source, then you make sure you do what it is that, that needs done there. Because our former clients are our best referral sources across the board in any business. Former clients, best referral sources, make sure you maintain those relationships to the best of your ability. Um, outsourced help, you can I'm sure go on for, for quite a while here, Nick, about that. Uh, that um, yeah, that's, people I think have already heard our, our blurb. They, they, they know yeah. that we're here for PR and marketing and staffing and recruiting and the whole nine yards. Um, but as far as outsourced help, you know, what do you tell the main, people? The main thing I would want to say to folks about that is that you may um, you may think that it would be ideal for you to have X amount of staff, you know, 20-hour-a-week staff assistance or 40 hours a week. I would always recommend starting small and adding to a person's hours as you go rather than, than dreaming big. Here is the most common thing that I see happen with new business owners, any kind of new business, is people will start marketing. They think they know how to get business in the door, and so they'll build their business presuming a certain level of income, and then that income doesn't happen, and then at the same time they know they need to market more, and they're afraid they can't pay the bills. And and so they don't want to market too much because they're somehow afraid on this weird gut level that they're going to be too busy. And so what I would say to an attorney in that situation is, you may get too busy. That's okay. That's when you hire an assistant. That's when your firm grows. But don't hold back from your marketing on the basis of that fear. Again, we talked about marketing 40 hours a week until your business is full. Marketing... You, you know, you spend 40 hours a week, and then your um, the percentage of time that you're spending doing the work increases as percentage of time your marketing decreases because you get those referral sources in place. If you think about adding to your staffing needs on a slow incremental basis and learn to do it all yourself, you're going to be a more effective business owner if you know how to do it all yourself. Certainly. Let's jump, Leah, to uh, family considerations. And uh, one of the things in the, uh, the, the my question here comes from actually that E-Myth uh, uh, CD and book that Jim was talking about. Uh, the, the gentleman who narrates the CD was talking about that when you have a, a law practice that it's a family business for everyone. We have about a minute left. Can you talk about balancing family and the solo practice? How do you how do you maintain both without losing one or the other? I think the main thing about maintaining it is establishing expectations early on. You know, if 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 you if your spouse is married to a lawyer, they may know some about what they're facing. But if they haven't been married to a business owner lawyer, a sole practitioner lawyer, a solo lawyer, then then the structure of their life is going to change some. So number one, see if your spouse or your family members will listen to the book with you on tape or CD and and you know, have a have a general discussion. Um, if your spouse is in business at all, have them just listen to a regular email revisited book and understand that that differentiation between being a technician, a manager, and an entrepreneur and a visionary, um, a leader. Um, I think it's about maintaining open communication and making sure that your family knows what the requirements are so that then you can support each other through that because there will be ups and downs. Good points, good points. Just upfront communication all around. Thank you, Dr. Leah, for being our guest today and sharing such great information. Thanks so much. Thank you also, Jim, for calling in to say hi. Well, thank you, and uh, I, I was very interested to hear what Dr. Leah had to say, and, and it was right on point, and I wish I would have heard uh, the beginning of, of what she had, and I'll go back and listen to the, uh, the rebroadcast because what she said that I heard was just absolutely right there. Exactly, exactly. Yeah. Anyone out there, go back and listen to the shows again, rebroadcast. That's why they're saved on the link. Again, thank you to both of you. I'd also like to thank our guests uh, for listening today, um, as well as our sponsors. Number one, the Intellectual Property Law Office of Nancy K. Ducharme. Two, Jim Thompson of Midwest Consulting Group. And three, credit damage expert George Finder. Again, this is a general information program designed to offer practice management tips. The advice shared on this show does not constitute legal or professional advice, and results may vary based on the specifics of your matter.
matter. You're encouraged to privately consult a professional in your location and should be advised that the laws may vary from state to state as they could apply to the comments made on this show. Comments made on this show between attorneys and professionals in the public do not constitute professional client relationships. All callers remain confidential. Broadcasts are reserved by ALRPRA Incorporated. Again, we want to thank you for tuning in, and we look to uh, look forward to hearing from you next episode on the Lawyer's Toolbox. Thank you, everyone. Thank you, Nick. Thanks. All right, thank you, Doctor. All right, we're, we are not. We are off the air. I'm going to hang up, but I want to thank you both uh, for being on today. Great show. Uh, wonderful information. I'll talk to you.